we are going to be in Daniel 6. And I'm sure you've all heard of this chapter. Uh, even if you've uh, uh, never been in church before, you've heard this chapter. This is Daniel's, Daniel in the lion's den, right? Now, how many of you picture a young strapping man like myself being thrown in the lion's den, right? Anybody? I mean, that's what we've been taught from Sunday school, right? Okay, well, Daniel's like 85 years old, people, okay? So, an older version of me being thrown in. So, anyway, uh, you know, I, I want to remind you, these stories are true, and they're in the Bible for a reason. They're not just children's stories that we tell in Sunday school, and why we tell children um, a story where people are, you know, can be eaten by lions. I have no idea why we tell them those type of stories. You know, we scare them to death. But in a sense, I do because it, it teaches them a lot about uh, standing up for, for what you truly believe. So let's get into word and see what the Lord has to say to us that are a little older than children, and uh, that the story may have new insights for us. So um, let's get into it. Uh, chapter uh, chapter six. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over it, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king may not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set, uh, set him over the whole kingdom. So he's 83 years old. He's been through all these different type of rulers, uh, some of them that we talked about last week, you know, Amol Marduk and Nyagliser and Labis Marduk and Nabu uh, Nidus and then Belshazzar, all these different rulers that he's gone through and he has survived. At the end of chapter uh, 5, Daniel tells Belshazzar, who was actually killed on October 12, 539 BC in his palace. He, he calls Daniel before him because at a drunken party, God writes, you know, because he's, he's like drinking out of the stuff that was supposed to go into the temple, you know, the, the temple uh, um, uh, cups and all that kind of stuff. And he's just throwing this wild uh, party and, and the Persians slip under that, you know, uh, the gate. Basically, God writes on the wall basically saying, your, your kingdom is now over. And, uh, and Daniel comes and, and, and interprets God's writing on the wall. And the Persians that night slip under the gate and basically take over the kingdom. Now Cyrus is a Persian ruler whose army has defeat, uh, the, the defeated Belshazzar. And Cyrus' lieutenant, Naburu, known as Darius the Mede, is given rule over Babylon. He's 21 years old. Or, I'm sorry, 21 years younger than Daniel. So he's about 60, 62, 63, right in there. So Darius selects 120 kind of satraps or governors to be in charge of the, of the you know, or satraps a little like, um, like mayors. And then three governors kind of oversee. And Daniel is one of these three guys. And at age 83, Daniel still got it. He's working for a 62-year-old you know, that could be his son. So at the age of retirement, he's working, and Daniel still has a great attitude, and he's ready to do the job. He's ready to roll. In Daniel 1 and 2, we talked about how as a young man rising above, you know, his station in a sense, he'd been taken from his country and basically said, you're now going to live in Babylon, and you're going to go to these schools and all this kind of stuff that's all this weird stuff, and he stuck to it. He rose above the others. He, he held to his beliefs, but he also learned at the same time. You're in Babylon now, so you, you know, but you should do well. 
And he didn't forget his values. And Daniel 5 and 6 is really speaking to those older people among us, okay? I mean, this guy is 83 and he's still going strong. We don't have to settle down too much. I mean, in America, we've decided age 65 was retirement, right? When did that come about? The New Deal, right? Think back to the 30s. People didn't have, you know, uh, 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 in 1930. Okay, I'm not saying you were all alive in 1930. I'm just saying think back to your history classes back in the 30s and, 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 and on, you know, into the 40s and 45 right in there. I mean, the government basically said they went through a, a time of depression. The government said, well, we need to give people a windfall. We need to give people a, a leg up. We need to support these people as they get older. And all of a sudden, retirement came into, into play. And the government would give you so much money after you retired and that retirement age has slowly kind of risen up, hasn't it, you know? But before that, you didn't retire. You worked, and hopefully your family took care of you when you got to a point where you couldn't, okay? Well, Daniel's he's 83, and he's still going strong. He's, you know, he's not having a hard time getting out of bed, or maybe he is. He just can't call in sick, you know? He's looking around. Everybody's on their iPhone, and his hands can't type anymore, you know? Okay, not really. Okay, well, anyway. You know, he's thinking, man, these, these little whippersnappers around here. But we don't really hear Daniel complain. I'm sure he didn't like the ch uh, the, all the changes going on. Uh, you know, but he doesn't write down his complaints. He stays positive. It's nice when you come across a positive older person, isn't it? Compare that to a non-positive older person, right? You know, the grumpy old guy as, as the world portrays. You know, it's so much nicer when you grow older with grace. And I'm praying that the Lord gives that to me as I grow older because I can be grumpy just like anybody else. But we don't see Daniel complain. Now, in chapter 6, Darius is just observing what a lot of people already knew about Daniel. The Spirit of God was within him. He is the same person that he was when he was at age 15. The same person. He has become an easy person to, to read, and if you like him, he's easy to follow. Now, you know, so Daniel's doing great, and the, king's th you know, thinks, uh, the king thinks about placing him in charge, and Daniel's rivals don't like this, and they basically decide, let's destroy him. Have you ever felt like somebody wanted to destroy you? You might relate to this, okay? Verse 4. At this, the administrations and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could not find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Man, I wish our, our leaders were like that, don't you? Oh, man. <laughs> Verse 5, finally these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. It's amazing to me his enemies have just figured it out. There's no skeletons in his closet. But if you start saying he's a religious fanatic, it changes the equation, doesn't it? Does this sound like our news at all? Does it sound like they've been trying to place Christians in a religious fanatic type of an attitude, right? If you believe, I mean, just get talking, you know, Christianity on any talk show in the, during the day. 
and you'll see what the world truly believes. This is what they're doing. They try to take him out of the equation, get the newspaper articles, in a sense, writing about him, anything to say. This guy's just, just out there. But they knew Daniel and his friends over the years had risked everything when something came in between them and their God. So they knew how to get them. Verse 6, it goes on, it says, So the administrators, administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors all have agreed. You think Daniel's part of that agreement? No, but we've all agreed. You know, I love those statements like that. That the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. This would be really good for us, king, they're saying. But we need to set the record straight. Who is really in charge here? And that is you. I mean, there's some weird religions out there, and they need to understand that you're the God that we need to be praying to. Verse 8. Now, O king, issue a decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So remember, we hit this in the book of Esther also. When they wrote a law back then for the Medes and Persians, that law could not be repealed. There was no government official who could say, you know what, we don't like that law anymore. Let's all vote and take that one back. No. So, I mean, it was written, that was it. Verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Now in Daniel chapter 6 verse 10 is the reason why we say that at 83 years of age Daniel was still a threat to this world. Why? Because he was a threat to Satan because he was still living his life for God. Just as he had done when he was a teenager. Now you notice that he did not go to Darius even though he had access to him. He didn't go to his office and get everybody together and launch a counterattack against them. He didn't, you know, get the news coming down and say, oh, we get, this is why we do this. He didn't do any of that stuff. He didn't confront his enemy either. He could have, he, you know, he could have had their heads. I mean, they worked for him, right? He was the guy in charge pretty much. He didn't. He doesn't do any of that. The good old days... We're not to be. But what he did do was he went to the Lord at least three times a day. He is guilty of what they're trying to say. He's guilty of prayer and praying to God. And they got him because now it's illegal to pray to God. He is a danger to society that they live in. Three times a day he prays. They already knew this. They're like, hey, we got a meeting. We, we set it up for this time. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I, I go home at that time. I'll be back. Oh, well, we planned a lunch meeting now. Oh, no, no, no. I, I take off at that time. Oh, well, we're doing, we're getting a get-together. We're having cocktails later, so you, you need to be there. Everybody's going to, no, I, I, I need to go home. I, I have a meeting with God already. 
How annoying would it be and uh, would have been to work for this guy, right? But it was not an option with him. He went home to pray. Now, when Daniel, verse 10, learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he'd done before. So he went home. He got away from work. He got away from the palace. He got away from the job. He basically started his day. In the middle of the day, he, he went home, and he, you know, get away from the distractions. He is quiet, faithful, and consistent, and he ends his day the same way. He didn't go home and pray really loud and, and say, I dare you to stop me from doing this. He went home to pray because it was time to go home and pray. He stood on his beliefs, not because of a crisis. He goes to his upper room, so he has a specific place in his house that he prays. I think this is important for us to understand and get to know. It'd be nice for us to have a specific place, somewhere where you don't get distracted, because I can tell you I have kids. I get distracted like every 10 seconds around my house. You know what I'm saying? My wife and I go through this all the time. We're in the middle of thinking about something or doing something, something happens, and I'm like, okay, now what, what was I doing? You know, people call it old age. No, it's called children. Okay? Of course, I've been forgetting stuff all my life, but still, I mean, you know, it's called children. Be nice to, to connect with God without distractions. And this is what Daniel does. He goes home and he opens the doors toward Jerusalem. He has never forgotten his homeland. He has never forgotten God. He gets down on his knees. He kneels, which signifies that God is in charge. Prayers like Psalms 55. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. When's the last time you asked God to hear you and answer you? My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught at the voice of the enemy, at the stares of the wicked, for they bring down suffering upon me and, and revile me in their anger. Verse 17, evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. Daniel would have read these scriptures. He would have known these things. I wonder if he read this and went, hey, I need to start doing that when he was a little kid. Who knows? I'm sure he prayed a lot of the same prayers that David prayed, like Psalms 55. And, and it, you know, I mean, it's good for us to think about Daniel and David and these guys. You know, then it says, giving thanks to his God just as he'd done before. And this is the third thing that Daniel does. He gives, th he gives thanks on the day in which he probably wouldn't have. He thanked God anyway. They're setting him up for failure. They're setting him up to be thrown into the lion's den, and he's still giving thanks. And this is the thing. Daniel has been exalted in his lifetime with riches and power over multiple governments more than once. And at this point, he is the most wealthy and the most powerful that he's ever been. And this comes true, especially after the lion's den. Yet for all his riches and all his powers... His soul was actually, you know, his soul actually prospered most of the time over his lifetime because of the ups and the downs that he'd been through. Remember, as a teenager, he had the fall of his kingdom to deal with. Joins the, the rising of the government of the conquering kingdom and then the fall of that kingdom and a rise of another kingdom 
over and over. All the roller coaster, all the job changes, all the different bosses. Have you ever felt like you've been on a roller coaster? Have you ever switched jobs unexpectedly? You know, some people, it's been nice. They have the same job, and they've had that same job for a long time. Other people, it's like, okay, what just happened? Okay, i got to find another job. I, I don't even know what happened. I just know that i I got to get something. But all his life, he was steady. And do you know why? Because he spent three times a day. It was his custom. It was his routine, his way. Start thinking of a routine that you need now. Don't allow the Muslims of this world to outpray you. Think about that for a second. Five times a day they pray, and it's not to the one true God. Don't allow them to outpray you. We need to start right now. No matter where you are in life, start right now. We need to start saying, How can these things happen to me, Lord? We need to allow our souls to cry out with purpose and meaning so that God can come to our rescue. Let Daniel be our example. Let Daniel be our discipler. We're like, but Alan, I have a real job, not like yours. I just can't stop what I'm doing and start praying. Well, you must be really busy then, right? You can't pray to God. You can't pray to the, the Almighty. In fact, you're, you're busier than the prime minister of Babylon, Daniel himself. You know what? I, I'm convinced that the devil has used this one thing against most Christians, being busy. Gets you going, right and left, doing everything but paying attention to God. And then he just releases us and lets us go. Because he doesn't, we're so busy, he doesn't even have to deal with us anymore, right? We blame everything on the devil, usually it's ourselves, right? People who don't pray, what do you do then? You panic when crisis hits. You panic. I mean, which means you're going about things the wrong way. Or they, get, or, or they do the opposite. You get paralyzed, and you don't do anything. And you end up sitting, in a sense, right in front of the TV and just being a blob, right? You start hiding. Or you start protecting. So you don't panic or paralyze, but you protect. You freak out, and you go into a defensive mode, and you start attacking anyone and everyone. Or then you have the planner. Well, I've done... Option A, that didn't work. Option B, option C, D, E, F, G. And you're up to like double Z already. And God's just waiting for you to stop planning and relying on him. I mean, it's okay to do some planning. I mean, lawyers, doctors, whatever. I mean, it's good, you know. But we can't leave the Lord out of the process. Now, God is really good about being there when we call, right? Hopefully you say yes. He is there when we call on him. He'll have the right people at the right time if you're willing. But what you're doing is you're robbing yourself of relationship and you're only treating God like 911. And that's sad because he wants a relationship. 
He wants that family dynamic with you where you chat with him. Like when you get home from work, how was your day? I don't you know, and you start talking. I couldn't imagine my marriage if my wife and I didn't talk at the end of the day, you know, or during the day. You know, we talk all the time. Our prayer life with God should be a little bit more like that instead of, okay, let me pick up the phone. God, I'm in a crisis, and I need you right now. How fast can you get over here? You know, unfortunately, we treat God that way sometimes. And, and I want to say that, yes, God is there for us, but at the same time, he, he desires that relationship. He wants that relationship with us, and it starts by connecting with him. Verse 11, it goes on and says, then these wise men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Imagine that. They knew exactly where he was and what time he was, what time he was going to be doing it. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, well, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, oh, you know, we just saw Daniel. You know, he's one of those exiles, you know. All these years, they still hold those prejudices against them. He pays no attention to you, king, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And you just said, oh, the lion's den. Now, the king knows it's his fault. He likes Daniel. He totally blows it. I mean, we read about this a little later that he really likes it. He trusted men he should not have trusted. And this is another thing. If you're in leadership, you've got to be very careful who you put in another leadership position under you, right? Oh, man, it's so important. He consulted with those he shouldn't have consulted with. And he ignored others he should have went to Daniel about this. Hey, what do you think about this rule? What do you think about this law? He didn't do any of that. Verse 14, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said, Remember, O king, that according to the laws of Medes and Persians, no decree or edict of the king or that the king issues can be changed. They're just kind of like rubbing it in, you know? The lawyers are here. By the way, you can't change your mind. You've said, okay, we just heard you. We wrote, we wrote it down right here. Verse 16, so the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, continually rescue you. And Darius kind of hopes he's right. Verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it, in his own signet, uh, sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that, uh, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Now, the sealing with the ring is a, a very common thing. The king orders it sealed, and the royal you know, ring would be there, and the wax would be poured on, and, and you know, the king would impress his, his ring into it, and it could not be opened. And if you opened it without the, you know, the right timing and all that, you would be killed, okay? And Daniel here is a type of Christ. Here the stone is put over the tomb. There's a lot of stuff going on here. And I'm not saying he is Christ, I'm saying a type of Christ. And I'm sure Daniel could hear the roaring of the lions as they came up because they wouldn't feed these lions that often. Why? Because they would want them to be hungry when they threw somebody in. I'm sure he was scared out of his mind. 
but at the same time, I'm sure he had a peace about it. Have you ever been there when you're kind of worried, but at the same time, you know God's in charge, you know God's going to take care of it, but you're, you're still kind of in the back of your mind, you're still worried about it? You hear the lion kind of roaring? Yeah. But you have a peace about it. And Darius is there to observe this. And he's beginning to want what Daniel has. We really have no idea what Daniel's been thinking at this point. I know what I would be thinking, right? The, the lion's right there. No, 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 no. No, the lion, no, uh-uh. Or maybe I'd be thinking, well, I'm 83 years old. I hope the drop doesn't kill me. Maybe I hope it does kill me, you know? Or I hope these lions are incredibly hungry and get this over with quickly. No chewing on the toes first. But I know one thing. I don't think Daniel was afraid. He actually chose the lion's den over not spending time with God. Think about that. That's how important it was for Daniel to connect with God. He chose the lion's den over that. If he didn't get to spend three times a day with God, then I'd rather spend 24-7 with him being, you know, in heaven with him, being with the Lord in his presence. This is Daniel's choice. This is like James Calvert, who in the 1800s went to be a missionary in the Fiji Islands. He booked a ship and went to Fiji, and along the way, the captain really became good friends with him. And when he got there, he begged him not to go ashore. He says, there's cannibals on this island, and surely they will kill you and eat you. And James Colbert looked back and hollered at him, we are already dead. We died when we got on your boat. He wasn't backing down. The whole concept is a great one. It is like Paul in the New Testament said, I died daily for God. Daniel died daily for God. It's not like it's, a, it's no big deal. You know, these lions aren't the cartoon lions that we show our kids in Sunday school, right? <laughs> I love this. And Daniel's middle-aged, no gray hair at all. Great head of hair, you know? This is what we show our kids, right? It's not like that. You know, just lounging around. Now, here's a real lion. You know, I, <laughs> I kind of joke around it, but... But, you know, a Maasai warrior over in Kenya in that area, you became a man when you went out and killed a lion by yourself, and you would keep the teeth, and you would hang it around your neck. This is what a real lion looks like, okay? This is what a real lion looks like when he's about to attack. That is what Daniel's going into. These aren't Sunday school lions, people. Mm -mm. This was a real threat that Daniel was facing at 83, 85 years of age. And you have to ask yourself something. Why is this old guy such a threat? Why is all the other, you know, governors, why are all the other leadership, why are they going up against him? Why is he a threat?
Do you know what the deal is? I think Daniel did more than just survive the lion's den in the end. I think Daniel enjoyed the lion's den. I mean, not at first, okay? I'm sure his mind was going wild as he was dropped in, right? But as he figured out that God sent an angel, I mean, he was in the pit, and they just rolled a boulder over it. You're stuck in there, and these lions are probably part of the, you know, the king's zoo, you know, and it's hot in there, stuffy in there. He could probably hear them breathing, sniffing him. But all of a sudden, he hears a roar, but it's coming from inside their mouth because their mouth is shut tight. They can't open them. Have you ever tried to scream inside your mouth? I've done that when I've been snorkeling a big turtle. I'm talking about turtle, like car hood-sized turtle. You know, we were out there watching them, and, and they turned around and started, they were eating algae. And so we get like six, seven feet away, and they can really swim fast. And one of them turned around and looked at me and just started swimming toward me. And I'm like in my mask, I'm going, rrr, rrr, you know, trying to back out of the way, okay? But imagine a lion trying to roar in his mouth, you know, and the lion's den, you know, I think he celebrated perfect peace within that area. I bet you he praised God while he was there. He hung out with the angel. So let me remind you, those who have been praying lately, we need to pray. <laughs> we love our kids. So that's why we don't shut the door to the kids. That's why we don't always shoo them off because we love kids. We want them to see. That's one of the things that I try to do is we try to get Grayson. COVID just killed us because we had Grayson back there for the longest time. And, you know, he has a heart condition. You don't want him to catch COVID and all that, you know, all those fears. So we're, we're trying to get him out of the booth from playing on the iPad because he can't see over the thing, you know and trying to get him to sit out here um, with us because we're so, you know, my wife does the projection and I'm, you know, I do all the, you know, you know what I do. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, you know, it, it's good for our kids to be out worshiping. That's why we allow them in here, okay? So, I, yeah, they're noisy ever so often. We deal with it. That's all we do. So, but, uh, you know, I wonder if, if Daniel prayed prayers like, Lord, I need to experience your peace right now. Lord, I need to experience your presence right now. Lord, it would be neat if an angel came and hung out with me. Have you ever prayed prayers like that? Maybe God will send one down in your situation. I don't know. Maybe it explains the situation you're going through right now, and, and God should be there and wants to be there. Invite him to be there. Verse 18 says, then the king returned to this palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. Man, I, I wonder if he told Daniel later on, man, I just couldn't sleep last night. You know, I mean, Daniel's probably thinking, yeah, I'm the one that was in the lion's den, you know, but I don't know. Verse 19, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? He loves this guy. I love this city. He recognizes that Daniel continually worships his God. Then Daniel said, get me out of here, I'm scared, ah! No. Daniel answered in verse 21. 
O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And then Daniel was lifted from the den. No wound was found on him, because he had trusted in God. Now, I grew up with cats. Lots of cats around my house. So many cats that sometimes if you, you know, with the little cats, this is before you used to go get them all spayed and neutered and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, so many cats that if you don't shut the door quick enough in the house as they're trying to get out, you catch a cat's tail every now and then, you know? But uh, sometimes you, you can't play with cats without getting scratched, right? This time, he is rescued, you know, through the lion's den, not from the lion's den, but through the lion's den, in a sense. He's been through it. And we're learning this. First, we saw the furnace fire, right? They were rescued through the furnace fire. Came out not even smelling smoke. And now through this, God always delivers us. Sometimes God delivers us from the lion's den. In other words, before it happens. And it's probably happens more times than we know. You know what I'm saying? The old, I, I'm dating myself a little bit here, but there's an old Amy Grant song that, that talks about how, uh, you know, the Lord, uh, she got a, I, my memory's correct, got a speeding ticket on the way home, but that saved her from like 15 other things that could have happened along the way, but she was irritated by the speaking t- speeding ticket. You know what? I'm, anyone? Okay, I see one person. Okay, good. Amy Grant fan there. Okay. But, you know, the same thing here. In other words, before it happens, and, and probably happens more times than we know, like I said. But other times, he delivers us through the lion's den. We have to go through the problem. Have you ever been through the problem, and, and, and you, you figured God's not in this at all? But in the end, you turn around, and you look back, and you go, wow, I see God there. I see God. Wow. When you really start to realize that God has been there the whole time. But in, in the middle of it, it's hard to see that, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it is. Man. He actually allows us sometimes to smell the breath of the lions. To have the lions come and sniff us. Maybe even nudge us a little bit. Kind of push us across the room. And another way he delivers us is by the the lions. In other words, martyrdom. God has allowed plenty of people to go into a sense of a, a metaphorical lion's den and to actually take us. And we must learn to trust God. We must learn to trust Him. We must learn. We need to be okay with, with getting together with God three times a day or, or more. But I'm just saying we have to connect with God. Did you notice, you know, Daniel doesn't tell us how God, you know, or didn't tell God how to deliver him? He didn't say, okay, God, before I get to the lion's den, this is what I need you to do. Now, how many of our prayers are, God, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. We need to worship God and say, God, rescue me. And not tell him how to rescue you. Since the fall, man has come up with everything to make sense of different situations. And sometimes we understand it and sometimes we don't. We need to realize that God is in control. It is not all about us. 
when you see people having a hard time, the number one question everyone asks is why? What happened? What did you do? Why are you in this situation? But sometimes it's a bigger purpose and a bigger picture that we must mature to the point in our relationship with the Lord and, and, and our relationship with God and the world where we may ask King Darius, uh, you know, or, or we may ask why King Darius is sleeping in his own bed tonight and I'm in the lion's den. All of this might have been done so King Cyrus and King Darius would allow the Jews to return to the temple which is the book of Esther that happens right after this. You see my whole point? Why would God allow an 83-year-old man to be thrown into a lion's den when that 83-year-old man has followed him his whole life? Maybe it was to affect the two kings that were sitting over there watching. And they go, oh, so these people have been here for how long? Okay, wait, Babylon took them way, way back when? Oh, how about we let them go home? They want to go home. Yeah, sure. Go on home. I'm not going to go up against this God. See my point? We, may, we have to look at the big picture sometimes of what's going on. Because in the end, we often learn it's not about us. And the healthiest thing that we can teach a child is that the world doesn't revolve around them. But unfortunately, too many of us think the world revolves around us. Right? We are, we are an important part of God's plan, but it's not about us because sometimes whatever happens has no benefit to us personally. It's all about someone else. And we need to mature to a point where we say, God, I am okay with whatever you bring my way. I'm okay. If so, if you're wanting or desiring a deeper relationship with God, then pray this prayer. Tell God, take over my life. I'm okay with whatever happens on the good, the bad, the rich, the poor, hopefully more rich than poor, hopefully more happy than sad, but I'm okay with all that. I'm okay with sickness. I'm okay with health. Whatever it is, I'm okay because I know in the end I'm going to be with you, and that's what matters. It's very important in this feel-good self-assessment society that we get back to realizing that we worship a God <coughs> who's in charge of all things. So if you choose to send me into the lion's den, God, I know that there's got to be a reason for it that I don't necessarily see. Either you will save me from the lion's den, or you will save me through the lion's den, or you will save me by bringing me home to be with you. Those are my three choices. And I'm okay with that. Verse 24. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. Ouch. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Proverbs 28.10 talks about this. Where you fall into the trap that you place for a righteous person. We don't set traps for other people. I think it's important for us to understand. Daniel didn't go after these guys. He allowed God's justice to be done, and God used a non-believing king to do his justice. Sometimes there's a place for confrontation. There's a place to stand up and say, but, but most of the time we just go straight for that confrontation, don't we? And not allow God to be there in the middle of it? 
What if we just got out of the way and let God do his work? He's much better at it than I am, right? Man, I wish Jesus would come down and just sit here and teach every Sunday, right? He's much better at it than I am. I wish Jesus would, would confront my boss, right, in your workplace, because he'd be much better at it, right? I wish Jesus would, well, how about us becoming more like Jesus along the way? And then Jesus is right there. I'm not saying we become Jesus, but we become more like Jesus if we get out of the way. You know, it's the old, well, no, I'll leave that alone. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, of men of every language throughout the land, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth. He rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Daniel's, or Darius's life is changed by knowing Daniel because Daniel worshiped the Lord continually. Whose life can you change by just being one of God's children's continually? See my point? You know, growing up Southern Baptist, we were taught you go out on the street corner and you, you beat people up over the, you know, over the head with a Bible all the time. Boom, boom, boom. You just shove it down their throats. And there are places where you need the street corner evangelist. That's not my personality. God has not given that to me, okay? But we can do the same thing by living for God in our workplace. We can do the same thing by living for God when we're out and about and meeting people. Because they see, they observe. We see the, the effect that Daniel had over his lifetime. The chief eunuch's life was changed. Remember the chief eunuch? The executioner's life was changed the first time. Nebuchadnezzar's life was changed. Darius's life was changed. We call it walking the talk. Walking the talk. But it's more than that. It's an influence. It's an influence that we live when we live out our faith in front of other people. Well, we're out of time today. But we need to, see, you know, we need the world to see us. We need to see the world to see us how we handle crisis. Because we're going to have to go through crisis, aren't we? At different points. We need to see, the, the world needs to see us how we handle prosperity. When we come in the money, how do we handle it? Do we use it for God's purpose? And I'm not saying we don't, you know, take care of ourselves and all that kind of stuff, but do we also use it for God? We need, the world needs to see us in our disappointment, in our mistakes, and our pain, in our joy, and our triumphs. The world needs to see all those. And when we mature enough, then the effects are seen in other people's lives. Amen? Amen. Well, why don't you stand as worship team comes and leads us out, and I'm going to pray for our Thanksgiving meal. Everybody's welcome to join us over in the cafe uh, for some good food. I'm saying good because I know you brought it. But uh, let's, let's pray for that in our service.
Lord, you're an amazing God. You can control the lion's mouth. You can control this world. You can control everything that happens to us. And sometimes, Lord, you allow us to go through difficult situations so other people can be affected for your goodness, for your glory, because it is about your glory, Lord. I thank you so much for blessing us. Each one of us has been blessed in, in a certain way, Lord, and I pray that we can connect with you on a daily basis, if not an hourly basis, that we don't ignore you, that people see that we are true believers. And Lord, I, I pray for the, uh, for the meal that we're about to partake, the fellowship that we have, Lord, that you be in the midst of it. We thank you for providing all of this for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.